And so uh, it's definitely awesome preaching to a room full of people rather than uh, the schoolroom in my house by myself where I have to ask Katie and the kids to, I have to evict them. I'm too uncomfortable being on camera if they're overhearing me for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, but it's much easier preaching to you here, and so I'm so thankful that we get to be together, to see each other, to be encouragement uh, to each other. But I still recognize, like, our church is still partially incomplete and, and fractured and, and broken because there's people that are, are not yet able to attend, and we don't want to uh, pressure them by any means to go against their conscience or what they're presently comfortable with, or uh, maybe they're reserving whatever risk that they can take on for family members that they're visiting or taking care of. And so I do want to recognize, like, although this is amazing, it's still I still look forward to the day uh, when we're all together. And uh, I thought of this verse from Romans 1, Paul saying this to a church that he was separated from uh, for a short time. He said, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Uh, my prayer life isn't as diligent as Paul, so I apologize. I don't, I'm not praying perhaps as often as I should, right, for everybody. I'm growing. I'm growing. Uh, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, by yours and mine. And so for the people who aren't here, uh, I just want to acknowledge, like, we're still missing out on that component. That's something that we still long for, something that we, we desire, and we know that the church is not complete without them, all right? That no one can say to another member, I have no need of you, right? And so, so that's something worth recognizing. It's something we still, in part, grieve while still, in part, rejoicing uh, that some of us are able to gather. And so... Uh, we've been going through a sermon series uh, called, What Would Jesus Ask You? And there's been a particular question, kind of an unusual way that it's phrased, in which he's asked the question of how much more value is a man than a sheep? And uh, we've kind of re-summarized that, we rephrased that to say, how valuable is a man, right? How valuable are people, right, is what we're talking about. Uh, how precious is someone in God's sight, and do we rightly esteem them? in the same way, right? Do we attribute the worth to them that God has given them, that there are people that are made in the image of God? We then also looked at the fact that Jesus said, uh, what would a man give in exchange for his soul, all right? That if even if someone was to gain the entire world and forfeit his soul, they wouldn't, they wouldn't make a profit. That would be a loss, all right? And so we recognize that the soul of a person, the eternal value of a person is different from their earthly life, although their earthly life is still precious. And then last week we looked at the Apostle Paul where somewhat almost contradicting all of those other ideas, he says, I don't consider my life to have any value, nor as precious to myself, but that I might preach the gospel. And so he considered the souls of other people, the eternal life of other people who had not yet heard of Jesus to be worth more than his earthly life. He considered if he lost his earthly life in bringing this message of hope to others, that that's a worthy trade, and he considered their salvation to be of greater worth than his own life. And so today I'm going to ask a slightly different question, and it's this. How valuable is the flock? 
all right? Or how valuable are the sheep, right? Instead of just asking the question of how valuable is a sheep or a person, a man, a human, how valuable is the flock of God, the people of God, uh, the church, the ecclesia, the people who gather in his name? And, and we're going to examine that and, and play that out. And so I'm going to ask, uh, for the first part that we're going to look at is this, is a shepherd, not the great shepherd, a shepherd worth more than the sheep? And foreshadowing, no, they're not. A pastor of a church is not greater than the flock. Just so you're aware, you're like, who is this guy and how full of himself is he? No, no, that's not where we're going. But uh, you can join me if you'd like in Ezekiel 34, and that's going to be kind of the main passage that we're reading from. I, I don't have it on the screen. Uh, uh, let's see, yeah, I don't know. Wes, can you get that up on the No? All right, I don't know. It's, it's definitely the sound guy's fault. Um, so let's see. So of how much value is the flock? How, how valuable are the sheep, the people of God? And so Ezekiel 34, now this is in Old Testament context. So this isn't describing the church, but it is partially fulfilled in the church. And many of these same themes are carried out in the New Testament, and I'll justify that as well. So the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not the shepherds feed the sheep? And so God is bringing uh, criticism and judgment of the spiritual leaders of that day for not caring for the community that he had called them to care for, where they were more focused about their own needs, their own preferences, Right, using their leadership to serve themselves rather than to serve the flock. And so he's criticizing them. Right? Should not the shepherds feed the sheep? Verse 3, you eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but do not feed the sheep. And then verse 4 is particularly powerful for me, where it's kind of like an anti-job description, where in seeing the things that God critiques them for, I can then identify the things that he was expecting them to do, okay? And so check out verse 4. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. And so they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains, and on every high hill, my sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. And so we can identify that some of the things that God required of the shepherds were, one, that they feed the sheep. And when we think about that, he's not talking about literally distributing food, although that is something that even the early church participated in. Jesus wants us to meet, yes, physical needs of people. All right, But feeding the sheep is, is preaching the gospel, declaring God's goodness, proclaiming the word of God, public reading of scripture, all right? That's the feeding of the sheep. That's the, the word of God that can satisfy us and that is precious and distinct. It's our greatest need. And that's what he's called shepherds to do, is to feed the sheep. And Jesus, even in uh, his encounter with Peter after the resurrection, when he's restoring Peter back, he says, Peter, do you love me? Or do you love me more than these, right? Do you love me, Peter, more than everybody else? And Peter's like, yeah, Lord, you know I do. And Jesus asks that question about three times, and Peter kind of justifies, or he's like, yes, of course I love you, or you know that I love you. 
And in, in response to that, Jesus said, if, if you love me, is the implication, feed my sheep, care for my people. There's no way for an individual to have their relationship just between them and God and have no love for the flock and have no care for the church, the family of God. That's not how it works, right? Like Jesus isn't going to have me as just this little side relationship, just me and him. And, and have me not care for the people that he also loves, the, the family that he's adopted me into and to be a part of. And so that's the first thing. He also said that uh, shepherds should strengthen the weak, all right, that we as believers at times in our lives are going to experience suffering and difficulty and doubt. There will be times in which we're unsure of ourselves or what God is doing. We're, we're going to even question and try to figure out how can I reconcile my circumstances and what I'm going through and the good God that I read about. And he's saying that the pastors are called, the shepherds are called to strengthen and encourage the weak in times like that, right? That we need to bring words of encouragement to one another. This is also something that fortunately amongst the, the gift that the Holy Spirit expresses through the body of believers, some of these things are God shares not just with shepherds, but with the entire church, everyone's being built up and edified and knit together in the bond of peace and love, right? That we're all growing together, fulfilling and maturing into the head of Christ, right? We're all becoming what Jesus has called us to, and we have this interdependence on each other, okay? And so we need to strengthen the weak. He also says that they were supposed to heal the sick. And in the book of James, it says this, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And so New Testament experience and practice is still likewise. To pray for the sick, right? To meet someone when they're in their time of need, in this time of discouragement. That's something that God calls shepherds and elders to do. And he also said to bind up the injured. Right, that there are times when our lives will experience brokenness or maybe we're confused as to why God isn't bringing health or healing in an area of our lives in a particular moment. But those people still need comfort. They still need care. They still need to have their wounds bound up even though those wounds may be healing more slowly than we'd all like. All right, That, that God equips us with comfort in our time of need that we could bring comfort to other people when they're struggling too. And so that's what God calls us to do, to bind up those who are injured, to bring uh, truth into the midst of their situation, that, that when they're wounded, when they're hurt, they know that people care. And sometimes that's as simple as uh, weeping with those who weep, right? It's just this ministry of being present in their time of need. He says that shepherds were supposed to bring back the stray, okay? And so this is significant that we as believers will at times and seasons of our lives Sometimes get caught up in the cares of this world. Sometimes begin to focus on uh, and place our hope in the deceitfulness of riches or building our own kingdom. Or we may, we may wander from the flock of God. And, and God calls shepherds to go and reach out and to find those people and to, and to seek them because they're precious and valuable to the, to the family of God. They're loved by Jesus. They're loved by the church. And God expects shepherds to participate in that activity. And in the book of James, it's actually branched out to the whole community. He says this in James 5.19, My brothers, if 
anyone among you wanders from the truth, right? He's talking to the family of God. This can happen to us as individuals where we might at, at seasons of our lives just wander a little bit from what's actually true, no longer living as though it's true. He says, if any one of you wanders from the truth and someone brings them back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Right? This is something to be celebrated, to rejoice in when family members are reunited, when reconciliation happens. That's something that James is writing to this church and encouraging them to participate in. Right? Pay attention to someone as they've maybe gone through a season of difficulty or, or have distanced themselves and, and seek them out. Right? This is something that shepherds are responsible for, but also the church, the family of God, is sometimes equipped to do as a group. Right, Or you have a connection to someone. You have compassion and care for an individual that maybe the shepherd might be lacking. Right, That they don't have that same relationship. And, and sometimes as a, as a group, we all are able to care for one another. And then there was this idea of seeking the lost. And as far as the lost, what's the difference between lost and stray? I mean, it doesn't really matter. But I think it's possible that the lost are those who have not yet been part of the family of God, have not yet been part of the flock of God. In the, in the New Testament, uh, Jesus encounters this man, Zacchaeus, who's a tax collector who had robbed his fellow Israelite, who had defrauded individuals, and he was disconnected from the family of God at that time. He was living a life apart from them, and everyone knew it. And Jesus sought out that individual, right? Saw him in a tree trying to see Jesus. And he's like, I'm, I'm eating dinner at your place tonight. And Jesus connects with him. And at the end of that experience, Luke 19, 9, Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so we see that Jesus, in his earthly ministry, is fulfilling the good shepherd role, right? Where the shepherds of Israel have failed, or where maybe church leaders have failed in your life, we see that Jesus more completely fulfills that perfectly, right? Yeah. He doesn't mess it up, mm -hmm. all right? Pastors can mess up, for sure. But Jesus came to seek and save the lost, to seek after those who were not a part of the flock of God and, into, and to invite them into it. And so verse 7, back in Ezekiel 34, Therefore, you shepherds, now, this is going to be hard, all right? This is, this is preaching to me here. Hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the, the Lord God, right? Just in case we don't know who's talking here. It's like the word of the Lord. Thus says the word of the Lord God, right? Over and over. It's like this is who's speaking. Behold, I am against the shepherds. I'm against shepherds who act that way, who care more about their needs than the flock. All right? So when we're comparing these two things, notice how much God loves and cares for his flock. When the flock is not being treated correctly by those who are in spiritual leadership, Right? God brings just judgment against them, not necessarily meaning that a leader who fails is going to right, experience condemnation eternally, right? but God's going to correct that situation. In James 3, it talks about that those who teach are held to a stricter judgment, all right? that shepherds are accountable to God. And just because uh, maybe you've experienced uh, difficulty in your life 
having been a member of a church in the past or having experienced uh, the failure, whether the moral failure or, or just failure on some other end of a, of a church leader, that doesn't mean that God's given up on you, right? God is still interested in making sure that you are sought after, that you are cared for, right? God hasn't given up on the idea of the flock being fed just because a shepherd may have failed, all right? God is still faithful even when his leaders have failed to be faithful. And even when the flock fails to be faithful, God is still faithful to meet the needs of a scattered flock, all right? And so that's one thing that's that's encouraging here. And and God's not uh, ignoring any injustice or lack of care on the part of spiritual leaders at any time. He says, I'm against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and will put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. And so, so even when uh, ministries have a moral failing or whatever you've experienced, if you've ever gone through like a church split or something, that's, it's heartbreaking, right? But God is still at work in the midst of those situations. Nothing is unseen by God. God still loves his sheep and God still disciplines those that he loves, right? That if it is a, a pastor who's had a failing, right? God still will discipline that person in a good and godly way. And maybe they don't get restored back to where they used to be. Right, but they still can be restored back and reconciled with the flock of God. And so now what's, what's interesting here is uh, that God takes ownership of his flock. Verse, verse 11, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. Okay, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. And you can begin to see this prophetic fulfillment in the life and ministry of Jesus. All right, where he's like, where the leaders of Israel have failed, God still cares and, and loves his people, right? God is going to seek out his people. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that I've been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness, and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, uh, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places. I will, I will give them their grazing land. I will feed them in good pasture. There they will lie down in good grazing land. And on rich pasture shall they feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And so God is faithful even when leaders fail. And so that's something that's encouraging. If you've ever gone through a heartbreak like that, it's so disorienting. When, right, you, you've had this connection, you've had this community, and then it gets fractured in some way. It's heartbreaking. But we don't place our trust in man, right? God is the one who is perfectly faithful at all times. And God loves and cares for his sheep. And Jesus is the one who does this, right? Whether uh, Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, who went about doing good, healing all of those, all those who were oppressed of the devil, right? You see that in the life of Jesus, he does this very thing. Or I think it's in Luke 4 when Jesus, at the beginning of his earthly ministry, he reads from the scroll of Isaiah 
how the Spirit of the Lord is on him, and he has anointed him to preach good news to the poor and liberty to captives. Right? That Jesus and his ministry is God fulfilling this prophecy. And some of this may have yet to be fulfilled, but we see much of it in the life of Jesus. And so now check out verse 17, because God's not done. All right, it's clear that the shepherd is not worth more than the flock, but neither is one individual sheep worth more than the flock. And I want us to think about that for a minute, because you might be like, Brian, I think I know of a parable where it seems as though God cares about one sheep more than, I don't know, 99, right? And we'll, we'll examine that in a minute, but it's easy to like read that and possibly misinterpret what Jesus is saying, and we'll examine that in a minute. But first, Ezekiel 34, 17. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. And so notice, you might be thinking of like uh, the prophetic uh, things that Jesus said in which he will separate the sheep and the goats. But he's talking about he's going to judge between sheep and sheep, people who are still part of the flock of God, that those who... Uh, have at times mistreated their fellow sheep. All right, he's going to bring discipline in even those situations. So once again, this isn't to say that a person's experiencing condemnation in an eternal sense at all, no. But that he expects and, and, and wants the flock of God to show mutual love towards one another and care for one another. And so check this out. I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats, is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of the pasture? Okay? And then he has this other criticism. And to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet. And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? And so this is kind of like an interesting idea. It's like, God is now critiquing the way the sheep are treating one another. All right? He's critiquing the way they are abusing one another or not caring about the needs of one another. And so what might it mean like to trodden down the pasture? Now, if, if feeding the sheep, and I think I could argue, is linked to the preaching of the word of God, one way that we as individuals, as individual sheep, could uh, stomp down the pasture is to mishandle the Word of God, to somehow cause the Word of God to be despised. All right, the, uh, there's this concept that uh, in the New Testament, in two of Paul's epistles, he talks about that the way a bondservant works as unto the Lord, instead of just merely working for the person that employs them, he says if they mishandle that situation, it can cause the Word of God to be reviled. And then similarly, in another one of his epistles, he talks about the marriage relationship. That if, if you somehow are not living in humility and in, in care and honor and submission to your spouse, that the way we live can cause the word of God to be reviled. All right, That we can bring shame to the word of God. We can make it diminished in the sight of our fellow sheep in the way that we live. Or in Romans chapter 1, describing unbelievers... Okay, and so this is definitely unbelievers that it's describing here. Uh, Paul says that they can suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Okay, and then at the end of that passage, it says that though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, 
they not, not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And so while that's, yes, describing unbelievers, it's also possible that in the life of a believer there's maybe portions of Scripture that I could suppress. Or there's ways in which someone or myself might disobey God's command, and I might celebrate that or rejoice in it. And so it's something to be aware of, like, is that a way that I as a sheep could be trodden down, right, the pasture? Am I causing the word of God to be despised in the eyes of my fellow believers if I'm like, no, you don't need to worry about that? Or like if I express maybe almost despising the word of God myself, or if I'm suppressing the word of God myself in some way. And so that's something to be considering is how do I possibly trodden down the pasture? Or is there a way that I'm a stumbling block to a fellow believer? All right, that, that Paul talks about that in the way we celebrate certain days is under the Lord, or some other believers celebrate every day as though it's the Lord's day. He says, listen, like, if you have a, a clear conscience and, and you've got liberty to do one of those things and not the other, don't abuse your liberty and be a stumbling block to another believer. Or those who can eat meat and those who don't have a conscience to. He says, listen, don't use your freedom to abuse a fellow sheep. Okay? And so that's the same idea. Or, or how about this? How might we muddy the water? Okay, that's what he was describing. Like, how could we muddy the water? And once again, you can disregard this analogy if you want, but often water in the scriptures is descriptive of the work of the Holy Spirit. All right, that Jesus said that he, when he comes to us and rescues and redeems us, he's going to cause rivers of living water to pour out of us. And so, like, if you think about this is a possible interpretation. If you think that the waters could represent the work of the Spirit of God, are there any ways that we quench the work of the Spirit in our own lives? Or that we don't seek after and desire the gifts that the Spirit has that would bring about the edification and building up of the body of Christ? All right, or as other New Testament passages describe, are there any ways in which I might despise prophecy or forbid the speaking in tongues? Right? Is there any way that I might be living in such a way that I'm, I'm muddying the waters and making it right, less conducive for the Spirit of God to move freely amongst His people? And so that's something to consider. Verse 20, back in Ezekiel. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will judge between uh, the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak, with your horns until you've scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock and they will no longer be a prey and I will judge between sheep and sheep. And so there's this idea of pushing with side and shoulder. All right, just as Jesus describes that those who are our leaders should not lord it over other people as the Gentiles do, but those who would be great among us should be a servant of all. All right, that doesn't just apply to leaders, but anyone who has influence, or feels as though they have affluence in the body of Christ, we shouldn't throw our weight around, right? Pushing with side and shoulder. We shouldn't demand our own way or expect that our preferences and our comfort and the way we want things to be done is the way that it must be done, all right? That we should be considerate of other people and, and esteem them as being more important than ourselves, the scripture says, all right? That, that when we gather as a body of believers, that we don't mistreat and abuse one another. 
Galatians 5 says this, so the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. All right, that even in the family of God, if I, if I practice gossip, if I tear one, you know, another person down with my words, it's going to mess up the family and the church of God. It's going to bring strife into that community. And God is aware of moments like that. Another quick example I'll hit is, and a lot of these are from James today, I realize. James 2 talks about partiality. Alright, he says that if, if a rich person comes into your community or a poor person comes into your community and you treat one differently than the others, he says you've, you've sinned. That you've sinned. You've, you've esteemed one as greater than the other. You've showed favoritism or partiality. He says if you're going to love your neighbor, you cannot make distinctions and judgments on your own regard. Alright, that that's one way that we could abuse or mistreat our fellow sheep. We could demean a brother over another. And so we've got to be careful of that. And so here's the question. Is one sheep worth more than many sheep? And the answer is no. Okay, and so like, think about that parable, right? You're thinking about that, right? Is, is my getting my way or doing my thing worth sacrificing the flock for? No. Is my comfort, preference, or convenience worth abandoning the flock? Right? Like, if I'm like, you know what, like, I'm not really a people person. I'm going to just do my own thing, just me and Jesus. Do I get to abandon the flock of God because it's more comfortable for me? No. Like, the whole flock of God is important. And each of us are necessary, needed, uh, dependent on one another. We are members of the same body, and we need each other. Is the flock worthy of the gift that God has given you and I in order for building up the body of Christ? Right? Like, your gift is necessary in the family of God. Right? Your gift is needed in the family of God. The flock needs you. And the flock being built up is more important than me withholding my gift and, and living life just between me and Jesus. And think about the parable between the, the shepherd and the 99 sheep and the one. Okay? Uh, in that parable, it says that the, the shepherd leaves the 99 in open country. He doesn't abandon them. He leaves them safely. He then goes and finds that one sheep. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and he comes home. He doesn't go and start his own little church with that one sheep and forget about the 99. He brings it back to the family. He brings it back to the community. God intends for you to be a part of a church family, a church community somewhere. It might, it might not be this one. All right, but God calls you to be a part of a church family somewhere. Or even think about uh, in that same chapter, Luke 15, when talking about the prodigal son. The son leaves and goes live and lives this lascivious lifestyle apart from the father. The father doesn't then go to the son and build a new house for the son and him to be a part of. In his case, it wasn't distance that was the problem. It was a decision in the mind of the son. It was a matter of his will wanting his own way and abandoning the father. And he had to come to his own senses, the Bible says, and to return back to his house. And the father's waiting for him, and he sees him coming over the hill, and he runs and embraces him, and he brings him back into the house. And so there's this idea that he's being restored to the community. The father doesn't go and start a new household in a faraway country where he was living lasciviously. 
And so this is what God desires. Yes, the individual is worthy. Yes, God is individually your shepherd. Psalm 23. Okay, the Lord is your shepherd. You shall not lack. You shall not want. God cares for you in all of these ways. But God also loves his flock. God cares for the entire church family. God loves them. And in the early church in Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, right, Peter preaches and many people come to follow. They get baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, become believers, and the church is born. Okay? And, and in Acts 2.42, it says this is what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so, yeah, Katie's preparing communion. She'll bring it around in a minute. Uh, and you can actually start doing that whenever. All right? And then later on, it says, And day by day, they attended temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. And so the church family grows together. All right? Individual sheep are precious. Jesus would have died for you if you were the only one to ever trust and believe in him. But Jesus also died for his church. Jesus loves you and Jesus loves his church. And there's no way that I'm going to somehow get in between Jesus and his church. Right? Like, I, I can't expect that sort of preferential treatment. God loves his church. In fact, in Ephesians, well, let me read this, last passage from Ezekiel. 23. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be a prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. And so I want to point out, this is written after King David had already died. It's not talking about David who slew Goliath, okay? It's talking about his lineage, this prophetic Messiah who was to come from his line. And Jesus is that son of David, okay? He is the one who is a descendant of David, who is worthy to be king. And Jesus is the one who is the good shepherd that God sends to care for his people. All right, and Jesus loves his people. He will shepherd us. He will feed us. He will care for us. And Paul talks about this in Ephesians 5. He gives instruction to husbands and wives. And, and he speaks specifically to husbands and says that they should love their wives as Christ loves the church. And yeah, there's a whole bunch of truth and application there for you who are husbands, okay? But right now I want you to recognize this about Jesus. Jesus loved his church. Jesus washes his church with the water of the word. He prepares a bride without blemish. All right, Jesus nourishes and invests in his church as you read that passage. Jesus cares for his church in that way. Or when Jesus first describes the church in Matthew 16, and this is our last passage, he said, uh, he said to his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bardona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so from Ephesians, we get the idea that Jesus loves his church and invests in his church. 
And from Matthew 16, we get the idea that, that Jesus is the one that takes personal ownership of his flock, of his church. I will build my church. Right? He has not abandoned the idea of his flock. Right? Even when individual spiritual leaders have failed, God will be faithful to minister to his flock. The sheep still need to be fed. He's not like, well, I guess sheep don't need to be fed no more. No, no, he's still going to do that. And he's going to build his church, and he's going to protect his church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so I want to point out that the flock of God, us even being able to gather today, whether in person or online, all right, the flock of God matters to Jesus. It's precious to Jesus. Jesus loves his church, I would say, more than he loves me as one individual, even though he loves me tremendously. He loves you tremendously. Okay, But God loves his church, and he wants you to be a part of his flock. He wants you to be cared for. Where, where leaders have failed you in the past, he's going to bring correction there, and he's still going to make sure that your needs are met and make sure that you are fed. Oh, thanks, John. And so when we think about communion, right? Jesus died not only that we could be united with him, not only that we could have the Spirit of God cry from within us, Abba, Father where we're adopted into his household. But he's also united us with one another. We're adopted into his family. We get the privilege of calling him father, okay? But we also now get to call each other brother or sister, okay? That we're adopted into the same exact household. And so communion isn't just about my relationship with God being reconciled. Although that's why Jesus broke his body and shed his blood, represented by the bread and the juice in this case. All right, but it's also about us as humans being reconciled to each other. All right, that we get to be the family of God together. And we get to be a part of gathering his sheep, being a light to this world, bringing good news and hope to all of his creation until his kingdom does more fully come. Right, that's what we get to be a part of. And so when you have communion this morning, and, and I apologize for those who are, are online, Right? But just think about, you are a precious member of the body of Christ. You are treasured. You are valuable. You are gifted. You have been called to such a time as this. God has foreordained good works for you to walk out. And in order for you to be fully equipped, the Bible says, we need each other. We need the Word of God. We need the Scriptures. We need the family of God. We need each other. And so let's pray this morning before we take communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your grace and favor. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one who is gentle with us, that, that you are the one who does not come to condemn us, but to bring us grace and mercy. That, Lord, the blood of Abel cried out for judgment and justice, but your blood speaks a better word and brings hope and forgiveness and mercy. I thank you, Lord, that we can have full and confident relationship with you, that even when we still fail, that we can go boldly before your throne of grace, that because of your shed blood, that there is forgiveness of sin. Because of your broken body, we can be made whole. And Lord, that we can have relationship with you starting now and going into eternity for all time, knowing and being with you. And I thank you, Lord, that this morning that communion also represents our being a part of your family. Lord, help us to love one another. Help us to build each other up. Help us to encourage each other. And we pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.